0: Shaq here, spinning fast-acting pain relief for 2024 with Icy Hot. Take it from me. Sticking to your new workout routines can lead to sore muscles. Icy Hot starts working instantly to dull the pain with the icy cool sensation. Then, the warming sensation relaxes it away. Feel the power of Icy Hot's contrast therapy. Ice works fast. Heat makes it last. Icy Hot. Business.
1: It is May 18th. This is the PFF forecast. It is a lovely uh, Monday afternoon here uh, on the East Coast, about 1.30 Eastern time. You're back in lovely Cincinnati, Ohio, uh, after your little, I don't know, rest and relaxation trip, your recovery trip to Wisconsin. We're going to do uh, some good stuff here. We've got Last Dance obviously finished. We'll talk a little bit about that, a little football spin on it. Um, there's a little bit of league news Largely facilities reopening, which we'll touch on. Um, 1988 Red Zone, which you wanted to talk about, which is great. We'll do a little um, surprise playoff contenders. Um, we've got a, an analytics kind of discussion topic and normalization. And then a cool and interesting question um, about who the most valuable defensive player is in the NFL. So, with that being said, let's rock. Mm-hmm.
0: I, I took a little trip, um, did some work, but mostly uh, you know. Didn't shave. Updated. No, that's true. Um, <laughs> I think I'll get there someday. I gotta finish this Josh Allen article, and then I can walk over to the store and get a razor here. Not in um, Buffalo, you
1: can't. What's um, that? Tease it. I said, not in Buffalo, you can't. Yeah, you're right, right. Tease it a little bit for me. What are you writing about for Josh Allen?
0: Uh, I basically, it's it's a, a like, so people are talking about, you know, how Josh Allen's deep passing isn't a concern because it's only a certain fraction of his passes. Mm-hmm. And and I just, like, my whole thing is just sort of, we talked about the last dance, it's like, you know, in a league where deep passing is superior, you know, in terms of efficiency and, you know, just the, the further downfield you go, the more efficient it is, even after you account for turnovers and stuff like that. Um you know not being able to go downfield is is bad even if you are improving underneath it's sort of like in the you know if you were an nba player and you were getting really good at mid-range jumpers um that's certainly not a bad thing uh but if you are a player that can only shoot mid-range jumpers uh i don't think you're as valuable and i think so
1: you it's know, the absence of opportunity that is afforded by the skill um which is which is interesting. Let's let's save that I, I have some thoughts on that, uh, and I'm gonna try and poke some holes in your in your argument in a second because I was thinking about this too. Um, but the last dance last night, the two the last four episodes I thought were by far the best of the whole thing, and there are a couple things that really stuck out to me from last night's, and the first one was something that I didn't know that they were gonna talk about because there were a few things that seemed like they just weren't going to make the story. One of which was actually Jordan's family, which interestingly like crops up randomly for the first time in the last episode, like his kids are on there, but that's Mm -hmm. the first time anything, which is interesting because in space jam, like his kids are in that movie. And, um, so it was a very interesting thing that they, they totally, that was, you know, out of the dock. And obviously Jordan had final cut on all of it. Um, but the second thing that I wasn't sure they were going to talk about that they did was the Steve Kerr thing. And this hits really close to home for me. His dad, um, was, (laughs) my dad is still alive, thank God, but my dad went to American University of Beirut, um, and was actually, uh, graduated from there like one or two years before Kerr's dad went over there and was assassinated, um you know, in Beirut uh, shortly after becoming the, was it the vice president of, of AUB and it was crazy. It, it shined a light on things that are still way bigger than sports that are going on still to this day that are just terrible and horrible. And the fact that they were able to spend 10 minutes on it, I thought was awesome. Um, I asked my dad about it. I was like, Hey, you know, what, what was the motivating factor behind these things? And he goes, you know, as crazy as this sounds and people want to make it like a big political thing like oftentimes it was just because they you know there were certain factions that wanted to corrupt the admissions system and Mm -hmm. like if you didn't like if you couldn't bribe someone into the school like you were going to pay for it with your life and i i that 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 was crazy to me but i thought that was it was great that they had that story in there
0: yeah, straight uh, yeah it was it was something that I knew about Kerr I knew that he had and I didn't know all the details um but they went into that um it it's obviously Steve Kerr is pretty outspoken um it, it's always those like sort of personal experiences where I will if somebody's had one like that i I kind of will take their opinions a little bit more seriously, seriously so yeah it, it, it's um you know a lot of people don't like Steve Kerr for because of his opinions but I think uh, in in some ways like he's got scars that i think have informed him uh and you know in many ways i think he's spot on but
1: no it that's a great point like it can't be underscored what he's been through and the reason you know what does he attribute that loss to and i'm it it has to be political unrest and incompetency you know it in politics and for him to be now outspoken about it makes sense. And you can agree or disagree with him, but like, you got to give him credit for sticking up for something. It's way easier. I think for him to be quiet than it is for him to be outspoken. And that's something that, um, you know, for him to be outspoken and not be like a lunatic on it is tough to do. So kudos to him for that. What else? Um, what else stuck out to you about the last couple of episodes about, about Jordan?
0: Uh, I don't know. I think, like, you know, Scotty Pippen apparently doesn't, didn't like how he was portrayed. Um, but I, I, I really think that Scotty Pippen was a star in the show. Um, I thought he, you know, handled... I thought he handled being one of the best while also supporting somebody who's the best. I thought he did that really well. And I think he never... You know, he he was never... Um, how to... Like, and he 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 was never delusional about his situation. Uh That's which I it. Thought was I always thought was I always thought great, it. And it was one of those where even when he made a mistake, even when he pulled out of, you know, when cuz honestly like if you think about him, he was second fiddle to Jordan for so many years. And then he becomes, you know, the best player on the team after Jordan retires and they get in the playoffs and uh you know Jackson calls up a play for coach instead of him and you know personally I have less of a problem with like him initially being like now forget this than maybe some other people do now again in a team sport you sort of have to know like the circumstances and stuff and ultimately you still play and you still do that but I can understand him like sort of waiting it out he had a terrible contract uh, you know obviously a terrible relative to other NBA players Yeah, good, which he probably. signed
1: to, in good, good
0: for somebody who right good for somebody yeah. who came up like he did Um, but you know, there's a lot of situations where he, I think, felt as though he was sacrificing a lot and in a moment where he could have been somebody, you know, he could have shined, he, he was not afforded the, uh, ability to. And so when you look at him, I think it's as noisy as life can be. He mostly played his role extremely well, but in the, in one moment of weakness, He got he got bludgeoned for it, right? I have a
1: comp. I have a comp for you, because I thought you said it perfectly. He wasn't delusional, right? The thing about Pippen was anyone that's as good as Scottie Pippen in today's NBA is, by and large, like you know what? I need to go do this myself. Like I need to be player one A on a team and see if I can take him to a championship. And he, you know, he understood that Michael Michael Jordan was the quarterback, right? Like nothing went without Michael Jordan. Yeah. And I would compare him maybe to a guy like Larry Fitzgerald, who is has such a great uh, care for how the team does. Now, the problem for Larry Fitzgerald is he never had Michael Jordan, right? Yeah. And But Scottie Pippen did an excellent job of understanding that. And, I mean, he was great when Jordan went um, and played baseball, but it wasn't like he... All of a sudden, you know, like his points per game didn't jump to like 29. Like he was still in like the 21, 22 range. So um, I, I
0: think I think even in the modern NBA, although he's retired now, I think Chris Bosh is probably um, that yeah. type of player. In that, you know, he was a, he was a star, but sort of viewed it, understood his limitations as being a number one player. And then, you know, when when he, you know Dwayne Wade and, and LeBron joined the Heat, he was still very very good. Um, but ultimately was more of a supporting player in that stardom. And there's room for that. And then, you know, certain people don't, like, you know, that's how, you know, things get territorial and things like that. They don't realize that there's room for that. That's why, you know, James Harden, you know, goes to Houston and he's doing great, right? But, you know, it's sort of like you break up, you know, some of the greatness that was the Thunder and all that kind of stuff. So, um, but somebody who can sort of incorporate uh, greatness around them, uh, and not be uh, you sort of overly sensitive a I think it 's impossible, which we saw with pippin um, but it 's if you do it w- well enough, which I think he did, you can really do great things. The other thing that was really interesting was when it was their last win when they were doing the um, you know when they were doing the parade and everything, and Pippin called it the last dance. I thought it was funny that a certain number of them they, they heard the news that it was. Phil Jackson's last season, and they all came to grips with it in their mm-hmm. own different ways, and it seemed like Pippen was just like kind of relieved not to be underneath Michael, and hmm. relieved not to have to like
1: to make some money.
0: Well, to make some money, yes, and and ultimately, like at that point, you're like the you're a all you're a Hall of Fame NBA player, a top whatever player in the history of the league. You've won six rings. There's not a whole lot more for you to do other than go get yours. And, and he seemed sort of relieved when when he when it was. When, when it was time, whereas other people I think were a little bit more disappointed as you saw, Michael was disappointed uh, I don't think Phil Jackson ever gets disappointed in things he can't control, but you know it, it, was a, it was an interesting contrast to see those two and how they reacted differently to it being the last dance
1: the, I am trying to think of a what it would be, like the closest thing I can come to is let's say a couple years ago I don't know, right after maybe the Patriots beat the Falcons or something, Robert Kraft was like, you know what? Just like Bill and I can't get along. Like we, you know, as great as this whole winning thing is, I think we're just going to have to tear this whole thing down and, and rebuild. That was what, that was the closest I think I can, in today's NFL, liken what Jerry Reinsdorf and Jerry Krause did because MJ was still at his peak. And that's why I was trying to compare Brady and Jordan And I think they're the closest. And the reason I keep saying I think they're the closest is a couple of reasons. I'm curious your thoughts here. The first is I think Jordan is about as close to a singular uh, existence as we'll get. Like, he has been the most copied athlete since, but he wasn't copying anyone. He was so original, and every choice he made in his originality made him cooler. Just like... Astounding, because most of us, we make one decision uh, after another that just makes us look dumber and dumber, and, and no one wants to copy us. He just continued, his hit rate was 100%. But he also had these multiple peaks of, of greatness. And now his were more athletically oriented. Brady has had this last run that he's had, and last year notwithstanding, has been very similar to me to what Michael Jordan did in those last three years in Chicago and why I wish it had continued. He was winning not just with skill, but also with mental brilliance. And that is the the comparison to the two that I think gets closest, is I think Brady's doing it in about as singular a way as a quarterback has, but also has these different peaks that Jordan also had. And to me, that's why they're the closest. And it's very interesting to see as this Last Dance documentary comes out, Brady transitioning now to a new team, where actually his chances got better at winning. Brady made the choice to leave to have a better chance of winning a Super Bowl. I think ultimately, whereas Jordan got screwed over by what has to be the dumbest ownership decision in sports history.
0: Yeah, yeah, and even the Brady, even the Brady uh, comparison is stretched because I agree. TB twelve is an attempt to do some of the mm-hmm. same things with Jordan. Um, you know, we're not as... It, it, I, I don't mean this in a dig, because I bought Jordan shoes growing up, a lot of them. But we're not as materialistic as we used to be um, in the 90s and early 2000s. So Brady sort of knew he couldn't sell gear as well as Jordan could, you yeah. know, just because the time... He's also just not as cool. Well, sure. But we're yeah. also... We're far more, like, health conscious right. and... Like Brady saw the evolution of those things and decided TV12 was going to be his brand, and it was just not it. it, it hasn't taken off the same way that the the Jumpman did, right? So no, of course not. And, and that's and that's tricky. The other thing is that the hard part is going to be. I always think you know Phil Jackson's a great coach, but I always think Belichick gets gets way more of the credit for the Brady Belichick uh, mm-hmm. pair. Than than uh, Phil Jackson got for anything the Bills did or the Bulls did, which is
1: a shame, honestly.
0: Well, I mean, but ultimately he got his because he went to the Lakers and won championships, and you know basically proved it'd be like Belichick if he would if he would leave the Patriots and go back to the Browns and win like three or four championships, or
1: just to win more with the Patriots, right?
0: Or to win more, yeah, because now you know now that now it's essentially a completely different team, Um, so. It's interesting. It's That's why I think the documentary took off. I think it, even if they were to make one about LeBron James um, or any player in any other league, I don't think it becomes anywhere near what it is now, because, or what that one was, because things are so much different now. And things are so much... It, medias are so much different. Like, we, they only had so many resources. They only had so many games on TV. Like, we mm-hmm. had to focus on a few stars. Whereas now, like, you can watch... If you want to watch the Memphis Grizzlies every single night, you can sort of ignore every other team. And and, and and so it's more geographic.
1: And you hit on something which is, I think, the reason that everything for this was perfect. Jordan was the perfect athlete. We're not going to see that point of perfection right now. The other thing is you need documentaries to tell stories that couldn't be told before because the footage wasn't out there. But now you can literally see like all of the behind-the-scenes to all of this stuff all the time. It's so much easier. Players have Instagrams. Tom Brady spun up his own documentary fairly easily. Mm-hmm. Like All of these things are so much more available. The intrigue isn't there. Like I can't imagine this type of excitement about a documentary for a player right now because you already will know so much of it. And I do think Belichick Brady gets close that it's just it's different enough that it doesn't make me nearly as excited and I think that's because of the time period.
0: It's why I will watch games from the eighties and nineties on YouTube, but I very rarely watch a game from like two thousand six. Yeah. Because I had a ton I had a ton of extra stimuli available to me at the time, you know, in the form of everything that was available then. Uh, I forgot a lot about 1993, right? And, in fact, there was a lot too... There was a lot concealed, you know, back then. And and it's probably why, like you said, Jordan, you know, if you we already know a ton about LeBron. LeBron already had a TV show to say that he was going to go to the, the Heat, right? Like, uh, you know, we're, we've been privy to a lot uh, of those things. Can um, I ask you pe- a question? Go ahead.
1: Would you rather be Michael Jordan or... Tom Brady
0: as a person uh,
1: you have to yeah you have to basically bin them and, and live through their career
0: uh, I like football more I mean so if I was actually good at quarterback I think that would be a lot of fun um, I I would say Brady partially because he can still play and um, and I think I don't know the football football is just to me like I don't know. I'm, I don't know. It's tough. I I don't know if I have the... I don't know if I could thrive under the the way that Michael Jordan lives his life in terms of just always being kind of, like, salty about things. But Brady is somewhat that way, but a little less so. So I feel Kay. like Brady.
1: That, That's the answer I expected. Brady's life... You watch the Jordan documentary, and there's a certain amount of, I could never do that. Even if I had... The physical ability, I couldn't do it. Like, I there's just a uniqueness to it that I think is awe-inspiring. And there's a, you know what, Brady is amazing, but like also his life has some similarities to mine, and he he has a he has what appears to be a much happier relationship with his family, and like all these normal qualities that you know, still he's obviously very abnormal, but Jordan is like a different type of species and I I honestly came away from watching this and watching that particularly that last season being like he felt so totally different the only time that he even seemed similar to anyone was when he ordered a pizza and got got food poisoning
0: Yep. (laughs) yeah that's I mean
1: that's 100% Um, by the way what okay uh, we'll transition to your 80s football here in a sec Um, who's the uh, visiting city that is most likely to to food poison an uh, opposing quarterback in today's NFL?
0: Appleton, Wisconsin.
1: And is it Aaron Rodgers? <laughs> or I think Jordan Love? It, I,
0: <laughs> I do think when Aaron Rodgers plays for the San Francisco 49ers and he visits, has to, and he visits for, like let's say, a, an NSC divisional playoff game, well, that's never going to happen because they're never going to make the playoffs to so Jordan Love. But like, okay, so like week seven... Um, you know, San Francisco goes to Lambo. They stay in Appleton because that's okay. the only city that's big enough to have you know uh, hotels in that area. Uh, there's totally going to be some guy from Manitowoc that like orders you know some <laughs> oh some, that's great some deep dish like sh- like he's going to want Chicago style pizza and like yeah. he's going to order a deep dish and and it's going to be a little too deep. Let's just put it that way.
1: Okay, so that's a good one because it's a small enough city where the options are, like, limited. I thought that was one of the funniest things was (laughs) we're in Park City and, like, I can't get food at 930 at night. How ridiculous is that nowadays? So I don't know that there's any other cities that are that small where you'd have that situation. So I'm going to take it a different route. In Vegas, corruption is very possible. And even if you're ordering, even if you're staying at um, the nicest hotel out there, you know, someone will have the the reason to go in and try and you know put a little extra something on a grilled chicken caesar salad that's coming tom brady's way so that that's my thought there um I, I could talk about this for a long time i re-watched uh a lot of the 97 and 98 games um it was great i loved bob costas dude bob costas is incredible he comparing him to marv albert Who, Marv Albert, everyone says is, you know, he's the GOAT, whatever. Bob Costas was so good in those 98 finals. Like, I I said this last night, and no one cares to read my tweets on this, obviously. But, like, Jordan's Game 6 performance, the second best performance that night was Bob Costas, who just threw a no-hitter in that game. He was insane.
0: Yeah, I also find it funny that, like, Dick Stockton was doing, like, national NBA Mm -hmm. games back then, because now... You know he clear he's like doing he's like the fifth guy in Fox. What about um, Bill Walton for NFL? Yeah, Walton was always like a character trip, wasn't he? Like at <laughs> yes. this point, you just like, hey, let's like let's do some LSD and watch some basketball. He
1: it, and it, it, he was just giving Carl Malone in some of these games. He, he was saying things and he was calling him Carl. And the funny thing about Walton is that he like had a speech impediment and like couldn't speak. And yeah, finally yeah. learns how to speak, and then couldn't you couldn't shut him up? And he's just like, "Come on, Carl, you've got to be better than that, Carl!" Like going on and on. It was so funny. Carl won the MVP that year, and he was just, oh man. It was. There's so many. I'll, I'll watch this whole thing over again to pick up on all the little pieces that I didn't the first time around. Um, it was that good. Uh, okay, you watched 1988 red zone, and I need to understand this. I need you to take me through this.
0: Yeah, I was a little bit... So when I saw that this happened, I was a little... I was excited, but I was ra- driving home or riding home uh, from the Twin Cities uh, yesterday, so I didn't watch it live. So I watched it today, and I'm like, Yo, this is outstanding. The, the tricky part was, though, is that the guy only had six 1988 Week 2 games, which yeah. I think lowers the effect. But yeah, he so basically... Was- a- he basically, it was basically
1: red zone with six games.
0: He recreated red zone for a random game, a random week in 1988, and it was fun and it was funny. The um, there's a lot less scoring back then, so it yeah. Was I was sort gonna say like, was
1: the was the impact because like t- the th- reason it works so well today is that there's always a team that's a threat for. There were more
0: turnovers back then though, so he did have like uh, opportunities. Okay to sort of um, Was he
1: doing um, like was he narrating the whole thing?
0: Uh kind of. There was a lot of dead air though that I was a little but I guess there's dead air with Scott Hansen and, and uh, Siciliano mm-hmm. too. But I don't know, man. I I thought it was a great idea and I thought that the that the over like the there Execution. were a few errors that were made in like the, the tactical, you know like What was it the best the, game
1: from nineteen eighty eight? Uh, I think it was Week Giants
0: too. 49ers where Montana came off the bench for Steve Young and I'm trying to remember what ha- like I was I was kind of working when this when I was watching this too so um, but that was the year San Fran kind of struggled they went 10 and 6 and then yep. like ran the table won the Super Bowl um, but yeah like the the Giants got out ahead then they yanked uh, um, Steve Young for Montana Montana threw a 73 yard 78 yard touchdown to uh Jerry Rice off the bench—it's kind of cool. I mean, it's stuff you don't see today, right? You don't see like uh, Tom Brady coming off the bench for, right. for Blaine Gabbert, right? Like, you don't see guys—you don't see guys sitting out when they're barely hurt, like they're they're just hurt enough to not start but play. It's sort of weird, but that you happened might, like all the time that, back then. Maybe we'll see that with the Saints this year. I, that, it could be the case, right? It could be the case, if, especially if the Saints are like you know. Back then, the NFC was interesting because. The Niners were so much better than everybody else, so like they could sit Montana for Young like a few times in the season just because it's like baseball. It's like, well, you know, we might lose this game, but we're gonna go thirteen and three, and it's not like the Rams are gonna catch us, you know, in the NFC West. So, um, but yeah, I was, I was so when it first came, I was disappointed a little bit, but I thought the idea was great, and I thought the 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 execution was good. I think it'd be even better if Scott Hansen did it. Let's put it that way.
1: There I mean there's no doubt. I, I was trying to think about how like how hard would it have been to be like, "Hey Scott, like this is what I'm doing. Do you, would you want to be a part of this?" But I, I I'm guessing he doesn't want to take the risk of being bad, right?
0: Yeah, and there there was it was interesting cuz like a lot of names were mispronounced and stuff. Like I feel like Hansen would like think that that would be a risk. Yes. Um but uh, you know, I, I still think it's. I, I thought it was a great idea, and I thought you know, um, you know, I execution was far better than what I would have thrown out there. Um, but maybe still, maybe still lacking a little bit, and maybe there's opportunity for somebody else to uh, do do a good job with it.
1: Could be you. You'd be you'd be good on that because you know enough about those old games where like random player comes in and scores a touchdown and you're just all over it. <laughs> naming, you're naming the school he went to. Mm-hmm. It's his, his mother, Jane, would be so proud of him. That'd yeah. be you. It'd be fun. Um, okay, current NFL news. I want to keep tabs on where you're at, optimistic for uh, this coming season. Based on the team memo about facilities reopening based on what states and governors are are saying right now. Yeah. Where are you at? I I've always said
0: 7030. Um You're still 7030. 30 I, Yeah, I well And that's I'm that's trending, for anything I'm trending, overall. I'm trending further. So if you want to make it specific, like NFL I think is a huge favorite mm-hmm. um, to play without fans. Um the only thing that makes me nervous is some of the, you know if some of these leagues don't start pretty soon like the NFL is not going to have like guidelines you know yes. what I mean to like mimic
1: I, I was going to ask you this do you think because I there's a lot of reason to maybe be more pessimistic about basketball right now and I think baseball is probably going to try and do something if, if you had to pick one of those two leagues to start and only baseball. one of them will it's baseball right like yeah, baseball
0: I, but here's the to me, and like again, I I don't want to risk getting political on any of this. But if you look at the composition of the fan bases, mm-hmm. basketball is a more like you you look at all the five thirty basketball is a little more liberal fan base, right? Um, so th- my guess is, given the way that the right and left have split on opening the economy on all that kind of stuff, football fans are not going to be particularly sympathetic to players. Not playing. I think well, baseball. Baseball is similar, you know, a little bit more to the left. But I still think baseball fans are not going to be sympathetic at some level to players holding out for more money, whether that's right or wrong. And then well, I think basketball fans are going to be the most sympathetic. But I don't know if they're going to be you know sympathetic enough to uh, tolerate. I mean, the, the tolerate you know not restarting the season at any, at any point.
1: To me, there's a big difference in – so we had this conversation. I thought it was really interesting. And I asked you, I was like, if you were an NFL player right now, would you go back? And both of us are in the same spot where it's like, yeah, I would absolutely go back and and play. And to me, the difference between the Major League Baseball situation and the NFL situation is, is NFL players to me are going to be way more. Let's just let's get out there and play. Like let's do what we've got to do to be able to play here, and a lot of that stems from, I think, just in baseball. Like, what is a year? Like, what you know? Like in the NFL, every year is like the difference between the beginning and the end of a career in some cases. Yep. Right? In baseball, okay. that's just not the case. So those two those two factors. Um, would would make me bullish on things happening, especially if baseball, because the rosters are bigger, and that's why I think baseball opening up is more important to showing a way for, for the NFL than basketball is, because the size of the rosters is what concerns me. You have that many players, and then what happens if a substantial component of that gets sick? And that's the part that worries me. Like, are yeah. they going to have thought through enough what happens if ten Tampa Bay Buccaneers get hurt or, or get injured?
0: Yeah, and <laughs> we there's, there's not there's not a lot of precedents for this, but we have seen it historically. Things like MRSA happen. Mm-hmm. Um, we've seen you know, and again, those are somewhat like that's kind of an infection, like infectious, contagious thing in a sense, not from person to person, but from like facility to person. Um, but again, yeah, this is unprecedented. Uh, and, um, you know, my my thought process is that, you know, the NFL needs to find out a contingency plan, whether that be to add 10 players to every roster, whether that be to, I mean, and if you think about that from the player's perspective, you've got to think about risk and reward. All these all these team members are young. Most of them, I mean, there was a, you know, it's not like the coaches, frankly. The coaches are maybe health-wise the ones to be worried about. Mm-hmm. Players are all you know young, healthy, um, and if you say to them look like the, the only players for which not having a season would be dis, would be in, the, the, the better incentive would be players who are established because if you look at players who aren't established, you're saying, look, our rosters are going to be sixty players this year. That means you're going to have an opportunity to make to to be on a a, a, a roster uh, you're going to be on the active fifty, let's say they change it to fifty or fifty two or something like that you're going to have a chance to make some plays. Like that's going to be that's that's going to provide an incentive for young players that I think is going to overcome a lot of people's worry uh about getting sick with COVID-19 specifically. Now again, the morals of that un- notwithstanding, that's probably how it's going to play out. The question the real question and I, and I wonder, you know, your thoughts on uh, college football to me is is a way more up in the air. Um but for the NFL there's enough of an incentive structure, I think to be able to provide everybody with, uh, you know, w- with the season, and we've already seen like people watch the replacement games when they played them in 1987. People, you know, were the 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 Major League Baseball had to come back from an enormous uh, public uh, relations nightmare when they struck in '94 and didn't finish the season. Like, and again, this isn't the same, but it, it's a similar thing where. I think that they must must feel some heat for like, okay, we could lose a significant amount of fans if we let this thing go for, you know, a whole year and a half without playing a game.
1: I don't know about college, man. We talked about which conferences would open up and like, are we just watching SEC football? Are we just watching SEC and the ACC? Does the Big 12 join in? Um, The Pac-12 seems like it would be in real peril if it was, you know, like, hey, your state has to open up because California um, is on the side of being far, far more conservative than than those southern states have been. So that worries me. I also wonder what happens if certain schools can't play. What happens to those players on that team? Are they given a chance to transfer? Are they given a year of eligibility so, like, they can go – you know into the into the nfl if they want there's so many things that are interesting there i have a hard time though imagining a conference like the sec which is about as close to like hey these games ma- you know matter just so much from a monetary perspective doesn't find a way to play some games
0: yeah, I the the only thing that yeah, and and again, it makes a lot less sense for colleges. That being said, like you know, a lot of these colleges especially in the South, if they don't have athletics, the, there's not a whole lot. Like if you look at the SEC, the only SEC school that's any good academically is Vanderbilt. Mm-hmm. And so, it, you know, the 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 issue is going to be like where does your cash come from? Um, but, again, like, the, the hard part about the, the college football thing is you wonder, like, oh, they this is going to be a public relations nightmare. This is going to be... And the NCAA is, like, littered with public relations nightmares. They don't seem to care, you know. So uh, we'll, we'll see what ends up happening. Um, you know, we are still only in May. Um, but, you know, some of these decisions, I think, have to be made relatively soon. I, I'm optimistic that we'll get an NFL season and at least some college football. Uh, but... Um, I'm very interested to see what happens uh, over the next, you know, weeks to months here. And we could we could even get spring football. I mean there's a there's like a, you know, harebrained conspiracy theory that the XFL decided to fold shop because there's a significant chance that they would have to have competed, competed with the Pac twelve. Right? You know, if the Pac twelve mm-hmm. plays in the spring, you know, big you know, Big Ten plays in the spring, like, you know, at the end of the day, how bad is that? You know. Uh, well, it's it,
1: bad because the NFL draft will be happening.
0: Correct. I mean, it's not great. You know, uh, but we do. We have, have no... lead, we have seen leagues. We have seen leagues before, though. I mean, when you look at. Um, True. Uh, we look at how, like the W. I think the WNBA. Like when you have a, a seat the, where the pro season is not the same as the college season, there's mm-hmm. like an interesting like. Um, you know, for example, we have women's basketball players, they, they finish their season in, like, April, right? And then the WNBA starts in May, you know? Yep. And so the, there is precedent for, like, how that, like, sort of staggeredness happens, um, but not, not, in the, not in football, for sure.
1: Uh, we'll transition here, but there was a, a tweet that popped up that was, you can only keep one of the Chiefs offensive of weapons. Who are you keeping? And the options were Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, Sammy Watkins, or Damian Williams. <laughs> which I thought was was pretty funny
0: the the answer the, it, the answer we, is clearly Hill but is Kelsey if Kelsey was three years younger what would be the answer
1: I, I was going to say I'm not sure It's is it clearly Hill given there's a lot more question marks with Hill and yeah, if, if he's Hill, way more susceptible like any little injury probably hurts him way more than it hurts Kelsey
0: if Hill was squeaky clean off the field the answer would be Hill um if Kelsey was 5 years younger i think and and given every, all of Hills question marks it would be Kelsey Kelsey's 30 now um and yeah you know, as a Chiefs fan i hope he's great for a long time i do think the chiefs have to consider contingencies there where at wide receiver um you know it, it's it's pretty it's pretty clearly you know Hills Hills the guy there um as as great as Sammy Watkins was in the playoffs and it gets Jackson week one
1: all right let's do this cuz we're we spent a lot of time on um On the last dance, so let's do let's do a little Josh Allen, and I want to um, pose a, a thought here, and I'm guessing this is something that Bills fans have thought of a little bit with Josh. Okay, so Josh Allen is it turns out, despite his strong arm, well, 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 well below. league average throwing the ball 20 plus yards downfield. Using our accuracy charting, and I have to stare at this closely, um, he was about 21% below average uh, on, uh, in terms of throws that were accurate using our ball charting location. So, like, that's significant on throws 20 plus yards downfield. But that's something that is also unstable from season to season. especially relative to throws in the intermediate range, where last season he was about 6.5% above average in terms of his accuracy using our ball location charting. And I'm wondering, maybe there's a little bit of, okay, he had John Brown and Cole Beasley last year. He's got Stephon Diggs this year. Let's see if having some guys that are maybe a little more confidence-inspiring downfield he gets on the right side of variance there and what we really need to be focusing on is that he has improved his accuracy in the intermediate range
0: no it's it's a it's a really good point i mean um you know when i look at this holistically though i think to myself like because these things the splits are funny right splits happen when you look at him from an accuracy perspective it's not just 20 and and, and above right it's Mm -hmm. it's like 16 and above, 15 and above, you know? And I wonder somebody, like, yes, if you look at one sliver of his data, he looks okay. Mm -hmm. But ultimately speaking, like, if a team doesn't need to keep a top on its defense, like, if a team can just, like, play you underneath, is that, are you really going to be effective offensively? And there's a lot of stuff that the Bills did that were noisy, Positively, You know, Mm Allen had six rushing touchdowns on, like, 60 or so, like, designed runs. Um, He fumbled five times, lost only two on those designed runs. He fumbled 14 times, lost only four on the other ones. He was, like, top four in the league on EPA per dropback that didn't result in a pass. Mm -hmm. But there's only one quarterback in the league where that's a positive number. For Mm Allen, it's, like, a half a point per negative per... So, like, you look at the totality, you're like, okay, if they can... You, okay, if he can catch the right side of variance on deep balls, if he can maintain his efficiency underneath and continue to provide rushing value then we 'll have a a pretty good quarterback um all while jumping off from like the twenty second best team in the league in terms of e p a or you know twenty fourth i think in terms of uh you know full offensive it 's like i don 't know man i don't i to me it's like you 're asking so much to go right. And then your jumping off point isn't particularly good. It'd be it's it's different than say the Forty ers who are a great offense. And yes, you just, you need a bunch of things to go right to continue to be great. You need a ton of things to be able to go right in in, in uh, Buffalo just to be good. It should be above average.
1: Well, the thing I, that I, I yeah, go ahead.
0: And I and I just to me, I think the accuracy issues. Like he has he puts a cap on his accuracy, right puts a cap on his accuracy because 26% of his passes are uncatchable inaccurate. That means that his completion percentage can only be 74% at Mm -hmm. most. Mm -hmm. And yes, they had some drops, and yes, but but Diggs is not exactly the most sure-handed guy in the world. I mean, he's a great receiver, but dropped a lot of passes last year for the Vikings. And, um, you know, offensive line played well last year. Do they play as well this year? Uh, Do they have leads the way that they have? I mean, everybody talks about his fourth quarter comebacks his fourth quarter comebacks were against Cincinnati the New York Jets uh, with Donald was like you know spleen was one and a half times its normal size um you know and i think it was like what Tennessee the, the his comeback wins were against some bad team like the Mariota yep. Tennessee
1: no you're you're spot on there and the the data point that i was going to bring up that you mentioned is he led the, the NFL in percentage of throws that were deemed uncatchable. And that is, it's one thing to be accurate. It's another thing to not be inaccurate. And not being inaccurate, avoiding uncatchable throws, is the stable thing. It's the thing that points to sustainable accuracy. And what worries me about this is you can't have it both ways. So you can't go, you know what? We're going we're to take his average depth of target. We're going to decrease it by like two yards, which is what they did, right? They threw a ton more short passes. And that's going to inflate his accuracy numbers, and we're going to talk about how they've improved this year. Okay, if you want to do that, then you've also got to look at the things that aren't so rosy, which is he led the league in percentage of throws that were not catchable, and that's with him throwing fewer of the passes that he supposedly isn't very good at. Yeah. It's pervasive at the 0-9 yard. It's pervasive at the 10-19 to 19, and, of course, the 20-plus yard range, and that's the thing that that would worry me quite a bit. If you're trying to project Allen forward, like, I, there are definitely things there, and we've talked about this, that are very different from the Trubisky thing. But there are also things from a performance perspective that are are very similar. And so you should at least be cautious. Like, at least be cautious. Even if you want to be a supporter, definitely be cautious. Um, let's talk uh, a little surprise playoff contenders, because you wrote... Um, a great article. It's up on the site that you can go check out on pff.com, and we'll do this kind of quickly. What are some teams? Uh, let you go first. That um, in the 2020 NFL season, you think, you know, what? There's not a ton of steam right now, but like if we're sitting there and they're a playoff team, this narrative makes sense.
0: <clears throat> I mean, for me, it's like it, it's fade the AFC East, right? You look at Dolphins. You look at the the Jets. Those are two teams that people think, you know, they don't have a snowball's chance in hell of making playoffs. Both, you mm-hmm. know Both around plus 400. And that's an awful lot of confidence to, uh, to bestow upon a division that includes Josh Allen and a Bills team that has made the playoffs twice this century, and uh, New England, who's starting a new quarterback. New England has a question mark in the quarterback position for the first time since 1993. Mm-hmm. You know, so... Uh, you know, I'm not saying that the you know, but at the prices they're being given, there's what what percent chance would you put Sam Darnold being the best quarterback in the division by season's end?
1: Uh, base base
0: rate is 25. percent
1: I would go 37 to 40. Because I. So the best what who is he competing with here He's competing against Josh Allen who I obviously feel like he has the upper hand on and then basically Tua
0: yeah I I, I would I would put it at like a third
1: you're, you're less bullish on him.
0: No I mean I'm more bullish on him than the base rate but I'm but I, I think there's a like people have already written Darn off and I get it I understand the statistics and the probabilities that you know if you struggle at that age. It's really hard to get out of that basin. But there's probably a one third, maybe 40% chance that Sam Darnold's the best quarterback in the division by season's end. Mm -hmm. If if that's the case, then the Jets are far better than plus 350, plus 400 to win a division. And I think the same thing's true if you look at, you know, and the Jets were fifth last year in yards per play allowed defensively. Um, you look at that that team to me is a playoff contender, and no one knows it yet, and they don't realize. If you ask somebody what the Jets' record was last year, no one's going to say seven and nine. Right, right, right. right. Everybody like remembers them getting blown out a bunch of times. Everybody remembers mm. them. You know, Sam Darnold seeing ghosts on Thursday or Monday Night Football. They were seven and nine. They and and they lost to the Dolphins. Like they, they you know, they they weren't a great team, but they still were able to squeak out games because they have some decent components. Um and I think the Dolphins too. Like the, the floor for the Dolphins quarterback position is pretty high because if Ryan Fitzpatrick plays horribly, they're going to put Tua in. Mm-hmm. And if Tua's not ready, they're going to put Fitzpatrick or Rosen in. And you know, all those quarterbacks have fault, but like the union of one of, of those three quarterbacks is probably going to be okay enough to compete in this division.
1: All right, let me give you mine um, that you mentioned here, and that's a plus 650 the Bengals. And this is another AFC team, and I would I would say if you're picking surprise teams to make the playoffs, the AFC makes a ton of sense because the AFC has a couple of really good teams. and it's like, I don't know. Um, and we talked about the the Ravens regressing a little bit. There are also a lot of it feels like there's a lot of discontinuity with the Bengals, but there's a lot of discontinuity with the other two teams in that division, not named the Ravens, right? Ben Roethlisberger's coming back you know he had, he didn't play with those guys last year and then Stefanski in Cleveland like there's going to be a little bit of a learning curve there so with a team that now you know if Joe Burrow is a top 10 quarterback and they're also getting Jonah Williams back and they've also got T Higgins to go along with a healthy AJ Green to me plus 650 you know that that's them squeaking in as a wild card just feels like the type of thing that would happen during this season and then they get blown out, but they at least squeak in.
0: Yeah, and there's seven playoff teams now. So I, I you know, exactly, I, I, I know that that's built into the price, but I do think people might be under handicapping the weirdness, right, um, of that seven. Like the Steelers without Big Ben for 14 games would have made the playoffs last year. Yep. You know, yep. there's just su- such randomness. Like that team that makes that gets that playoff spot may very well not be any good. And the Bengals can certainly fit that bill.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, here's yeah. the other thing is every time teams play the Bengals, yeah, they're going to want to beat them because of Joe Burrow, but it's also going to be like, it's the Bengals. Like, this is the team we're least yeah. worried about and have been the least worried about for a really long time. The Jets have a little bit of the, we're a New York team, like, people want to embarrass, you know, if they're playing in New York, they want to play well, like, all of those things. Um, whereas with the Bengals, it's like, I, they just they just they have to be overlooked by everyone and that gives them a chance and that's exactly the type of guy that i think joe burrow is he's going to take advantage of that he's going to come in with a chip on his shoulder here's the other thing that we're not maybe considering joe burrow's just been quarantining at home with like his parents so if you look at like all of the potential for you know getting coronavirus and getting sick i think like joe burrow is one of the safest people
0: (laughs) Plus Ohio's been fairly uh, good at everything, True. you know, to our to our hometown's def, you know uh, credit.
1: Um, all right, let's let's close out with this. We have a couple things that, that we maybe we'll save normalization um, for another. Yeah, we talked we
0: talked too much and the, the off season's long. Let's
1: let's go. There's push that plenty. Back. There's plenty of time. Yeah. Um, but we got a good question in from uh, at J E R Siegs. Your I I there's I'm definitely pronouncing that terribly but his question boiled down to so aaron donald is the best defensive player in the nfl but is he the most valuable you talk a lot about how coverage is more valuable than pass rush but donald's been the best interior pass rusher by a wide margin for years is there a surety you get with donald more valuable than the best cornerback in the game who isn't as far ahead of everyone else at his position like gilmore and so this is a great question um if you're looking at next year who do you think is the most valuable player Uh, in the NFL or on the defense side of the ball?
0: Wow. That's a great question. Um, Well, here's the thing. What I do know is, is, oh man, it's, it's a great question because you think about the, the it's akin to some of these simulations that we've had, like
1: Mm -hmm.
0: what team is going to win 13 games? Well, none of these simulations are going to spit out 13 as an average. And and it's sort of the same thing. Um, it's sort of the same thing as saying like, okay, who's going to be more valuable than Donald? I know Donald is going to be within a certain band of war, right? Mm-hmm. That's going to be kind of higher than if I project any of these corners. But I know that there's going to be a cornerback who, you know, who's who hits on like this sort of low probability event and becomes like an almost like a point eight player, right? Mm-hmm. So. And the hard part is, is generally speaking, like those players are hard to predict, which is kind of making the argument again: a value value in a season may not necessarily be value overall. overall. Yep. Um, it, 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 a great question. Um, okay, so let's let's actually well, answer your question.
1: So, so I, I asked it that way for that exact reason, which is if you're only there for one season, then you've got to consider the chances of look. If I'm taking something that's unstable. Yeah. Then I've got to consider the lack of stability. But if I am picking value based on over time, so say the next five years, then that's where you have more opportunity for coverage to become more more valuable, and so that's where I would then lead. Yeah,
0: but you do get you do get some evening out though too, which is sort of straight right because Sherman, for example, was the highest cover grade last year during the regular season. But in 2018, he wasn't great. And in 2017, he was hurt a lot. So, like, the average of those three years, I think Donald might have him in terms of war. I actually have to look. Um,
1: Yeah, but Sherman's Sherman's a unique, a little bit of a unique case because you wouldn't take a guy that old.
0: Yeah, I still think the best bet, so, like, let's think for a second. The best bet is probably, and this is going to sound silly to some people, I think the best bet is Casey Hayward of the Los Angeles Chargers. Um, because he's somebody who was in the ballpark of most valuable corner for a couple of years, regressed a tiny bit once, and then kind of came. He's been like pretty stable season to season at a very as being very valuable. Gilmore's kind of been up and down. Um, we're not quite sure. Like let's say the Patriots stink, and there's not other teams are not throwing the ball in desperation mm-hmm. against the Patriots. Does he have as many interceptions? Does he have as right. many pass breakups? Whereas I think the Chargers have had... The Chargers have, like, exhausted the space of possibilities the last few years. Like, they went 0-4, then almost won the AFC West in 2017. They went 12-4 and in 2018. They were terrible last year. And, like, Casey Hayward's kind of been impervious to all that and been very valuable the whole time. And so, like, I don't think he's coming off of, like, the tail season for him. So maybe, you know, to me that might be the
1: best bet. Case Hayward's a good one. I also thought of uh, Jalen Ramsey as being somebody yeah. who.
0: Here's a question about Ramsey, though. Is he he hasn't
1: signed a deal yet, right? I, <laughs> Is he playing? I mean, pending he plays.
0: And I was on. I was on our friend Evan Silva's uh, podcast with Adam Levinson the other day, and I talked. The Rams, I think, are a team that I don't think I can fade enough this year.
1: Just it, to it makes sense.
0: Change the subject. Just as had. I mean, nine their season win total to be nine, nine and a half early on in the process seems so quaint. And I, I think if they finish with a season win total above eight by the time you know, the season opens, I'd be surprised.
1: No, I... Look, I I agree with you wholeheartedly on the Rams. I'm thinking about a guy who um, because of the situation last year certainly did not play his best football. And mm-hmm. if he's playing... Anywhere near his best football is the guy who I would take first as a corner, you know, if I'm building a team around. So, like, Mm -hmm. that team could play poorly record-wise, and he could still be at the top of his game and have one of those seasons, Um, you know, now that he's kind of got a little bit more stability there. But this is a really interesting question, and it points to, um, you know, all the things about why it's important to be both valuable, you know, and stable. At, at the same time, you're not going to get that, though, that often, and particularly on the defensive side of the ball where coverage is so um, susceptible to the offenses that you're playing, right? Like, it just is. Um, so, I don't know. So, you'd go Hayward, though, if you had to choose one. <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh,
1: that yeah. says a lot, right? Like, it just tells yeah. you how. Um, I almost said Marcus
0: Peters, but I, I sort of am still pissed that Chiefs traded him.
1: So. Mm, okay. You're not going to go, Damian Williams, though.
0: Uh, no, Damian. <laughs> Damian. Damian's like, dude. There's, think about that. The Super Bowl elicited two players who like are generally bad, who are going to be legends in Kansas City. Sammy Watkins and Damian Williams.
1: Yeah, oh, man, I still think it's funny that Sammy Watkins was traded up for, and that um, I was, when we were rewatching that draft, that Ray Lewis was like waxing poetic about how he was the best player in the draft.
0: What well, was sort of the uh, interesting, like Clemson wide receiver? Like, it was the, you know, we made fun of, like, the, oh, Florida corners or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it was mm-hmm. like, you know, they had Hopkins and then they had Watkins and then they had Williams. And, uh, you know, for a while there, it was sort of like the wide, you know, Ren throw. They had the wide receiver U. And it's like, yeah, maybe, like, just go past the jersey color when you evaluate talent. Although Watkins has had, you know, had broken feet. He's had, he's had issues with injuries, but, um, and he, you know, he generally has played well um, in offenses where he had to be. I mean, he had a thousand-yard season with Tyrod Taylor, but, uh, but yeah, the trading up for him. Um, maybe, maybe here's the last question of the day: Did you think the Julio Jones trade was a good trade? No. Right. So, like, but people, people will forever say that that was successful because it worked. You know, it ended up working out.
1: Well, they um, have zero Super Bowls. Right. <laughs> I, the, can best, all, the best, best part of using, player. That's a using, using the Super Bowl's argument to, like, say that yeah. the trade was bad, even though the trade was bad for, like, a totally different reason. I think that's funny. Um, the Julio thing is tough, right? Because it's like people have such a hard time divorcing the process from the result. I was going to say I have one more question for you that, uh, that I just thought of right now. I don't know why. But, um, oh, you were talking about the quarterbacks. For the AFC East, and I was thinking about the NFC East. Um, if you look at so obviously, Wentz and Prescott are one side of the thing. Haskins and Jones. Percentage chance, uh, how you would distribute the chances of those guys being better versus yeah. the other?
0: Yeah, I would say I would give a. I would put I would put Prescott or Wentz at seventy five percent.
1: Okay, but how would you? And, sp- I'm saying and then, and then between I would, Jones and, and Haskins,
0: and I would split the last. So I would say Jones. Um,
1: I think it's really close too.
0: I think it's even. I honestly like Haskins had some bad statistics last year, but I mm-hmm. it, but I ultimately felt as though he had more. He had less to work with. I, I thought Gruden was not great at the end. Um, his he had Terry McLaurin, though. He had only one receiver. Yeah, but you look in the like. Okay, P- Pat Shermer is a good coach. The the Giants were like top fifteen in yards per play in twenty eighteen with Eli Manning. Okay. They were top. They were top two thirds of the league last year with Daniel Jones and Eli Manning. You had Barkley for some of the year. You had Lat- you had um, uh, Slayton. You had Shepard and you had Ingram. Um, the offensive line wasn't great, um, but I thought Jones had more to work with, and so I, I'll. I'll put it even, and to me, the being even is more of a say on I think I'm a little bit bullish on Haskins after, I think the public will say Haskins was bad last year compared to Jones.
1: Oh, certainly. Certainly. I think if you did a poll right now, people would, would think that it's Jones Well, let's do the PFF,
0: podcast, PFF forecast uh, poll.
1: Here's Here's what I would say about the two of them. So, let me make sure I get this um right here. So Daniel Jones I almost called him Daniel Jeremiah there, which is kinda of funny. Um
0: I almost channeled Maynard Neal and said Jones.
1: Daniel Jones was so he had what, twelve interceptions? But nearly 6% of his dropbacks were turnover-worthy plays. (laughs) Like, that, so, like, to put that in context here, um, there were 35 quarterbacks that we consider, you know, in the sample. There were only two of them that had a higher rate of turnover-worthy plays than Daniel Jones. Yeah. Like, that's a little scary to me. Whereas Dwayne Haskins, like, at least I know with Haskins, like, I think there's going to be less of a chance of a total breakout. Mm Mm-hmm. But uh, his average is a little higher. Here,
0: here's, here's, here's what I think it is. Giants fans have had the same quarterback since 2004. In that time period, if you would have thrown for 3,000 yards on 62% completion with 2-to-1 touchdown interception ratio, you'd be considered good. You'd <laughs> be Hall of Famer. And in that time... So, like, I have... One of my good friends is a Giants fan. He's like, Eli should be in the Hall of Fame. Look at all his numbers compared. I'm like, yeah, 30 touchdown passes is like was, like, amazing in, 19, you know, 2003... It's, like, kind of average right now. You know, not average, but it's kind of like a reasonable outcome if you're behind all the time in 2020. So, like, but Giants fans see his, his like, raw numbers, and they're like, wow, this quarterback would have been great because they've only had, like, relatively few guys play the position during that time period. The other thing that's funny, when you look at Jones, he had 24 touchdowns last year. Uh, 13 of them came in three games. He had four against Detroit which we, you know, Mm -hmm. they lost that game. Um, And he had four against the Jets, and they lost that game because he fumbled three times. Uh, And then he had five against Washington, um, who was, you know, not, as we just talked about, not a very good team. And, in fact, they had to win that game in overtime. So, um, you know, I think there's a lot of bias over, okay, in close losses slash one, you know, overtime win, Daniel Jones was gutsy and, like, you know, got stuff done. And, you know, ultimately we look at that and was like, well, how, how stable is that, though? Because, you know, when I look at the, the first Washington game, the Minnesota game, the New England game, the Arizona game, uh, he looks bad, <laughs> you know? Uh, as you said, turnover-worthy plays were bountiful for him, uh, you know, as a percentage of his dropbacks. So. I
1: thought this was interesting, too. Looking at just, like, the grading by week, and, like, Haskins came in and it was, like, a disaster, right? Like an absolute disaster. Like, didn't he come in against the Giants, right? Was that the first game he played? Um, An absolute travesty, but his first three games were really, really, really bad. And then things stabilized. He had two games where he, there were two weeks where he was the top five graded quarterback, eclipsed an 80 PFF grade. Daniel Jones didn't have a single game where he graded above 80. So like the idea that Daniel Jones has this like super high ceiling relative to Dwayne Haskins is a little mischaracterized. That being said, you know, Dwayne Haskins overall a lot of negatively graded throws was not, you know, an accurate throw of the football last year.
0: Yeah. A lot of bad there too and and that's the thing as you're sort of um, you know, projecting, but he he certainly did finish well. I mean, in the uh he got hurt, I think, right in the in the in the overtime game. Uh Against the against the uh, Giants in week what was it sixteen? But he threw two touchdowns, no picks, eighty percent complete, eighty percent of his passes. I mean, he had some good performances. If you throw out his like relief appearance, his t- first two relief appearances, you know the New York Giants game and then that weird Thursday night game where the Vikings sort of like slept walk and beat them by ten. You know, you look at his touchdown interception ratio changes from seven to seven to seven to three, and uh, you know his completion percentage is probably above sixty. If you look at that, so it's always again, like we play these games with small samples. Where do we where do we sort of round this out? Well, who was better in college? Well, Haskins was better in college than Jones was. So, like, fold that data in, and I think it's a little bit more of an even steven sort of debate here, yeah, which I, is not what Twitter thinks. Twitter, I would,
1: I would go so far as to say, if I if I had to choose one, I would take Dwayne Haskins. I believe that Broncos fans would be infuriated. That Drew Locke was not taken over both of them, yeah. And I think you could make a case that Gardner Minshew should be should be up there as well. So it's an interesting conversation.
0: Gardner um, Minshew had more yards as a scrambler last season than Josh Allen, which blew my mind, but it happened.
1: Wow, that's good. That's that's what, <laughs> that's incredible. Really?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, Minshew was the most valuable rookie in the NFL a season, guy. You know, we're all encouraged by Murray, but I think Minshew was better than him and you know not to say that that's going to happen long term um but as far as you know wins per dollar the Gardner Minshew was like a you know one of the better draft picks uh we've seen in quite some time last year
1: that's why you take quarterbacks late all right uh reminder uh that if you um leave us a five-star review with a good question or take or anything even a joke Look, we could use, we could all use it. Hey, leave your favorite, like, recipe, your favorite drink, I, whatever. Um, if we choose to read it, we'll get you uh, either a free subscription or some PFF swag. So um, we read your question at J-E-R-S-I-E-G-S. Um, so shoot either of us a DM or I'll find you and shoot you a DM and we'll get you set up. Um, but hit us up for next week. we got to find a guest for Thursday. So, uh I don't know. We'll see. We'll figure it out. Anyways, thanks, guys, for tuning in, and we'll talk to you guys on Thursday. Peace out.